You you want to talk about neediness? Doing neediness, <laughs> yeah. That's the uh, that's the topic I've decided to go with for this uh, this podcast, and it's just something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's something that is spoken about in great depth, not just in self help, but in in particular in self help when it comes to the realm of dating mm. and male self development, if you will, and just how bad neediness is as a general quality to have in one's character how it is generally a symptom of some level of insecurity that hasn't been dealt with properly. And it's something that I think a lot of men are dealing with, especially the ones our age, you know, our generation. Um, It's really unhealthy. And I've been trying to observe it in me uh, quite a lot over the last couple of months, even over the last year or two. And you just notice how much it really does permeate uh, through in your personality when you truly do observe it. It's just something that I've felt so much better when I've tried to cut it out. And Do you reckon you've been successful? Like, do you, do you think that just focusing on the neediness has been able to cut it out or have you had to use, like, techniques to get rid of it? No, because like I said, I think it's a symptom of uh, greater, whether it's anxiety issues or insecurity that stems from what we were kind of talking about in the last podcast, your concept of reality and where you fit on in the hierarchy of that reality. Mm. And that's where Whereas a lot of that Whereas what we concluded at the end is that you kind of determine where you fit on that hierarchy. Absolutely. It's pretty much in Absolutely. your head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are definitely influences, don't get me yeah. wrong. Um, but the biggest factor in determining your position on that hierarchy is, yes, yourself and where you perceive yourself yeah so what do you think happened in your trenth for me we're talking about for two years to now is that the deal oh not just two years but that was probably where the largest transformation happened and where i've been thinking about it the most. probably actually the last couple of weeks just that particular area the neediness has come up a lot more yeah 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 can i pry in sure yeah why well, I can go back. Well, I was a very, uh, I was a very needy boyfriend in my last uh, relationship. Were you? Yeah, I was. All right. So, fuck, dude, you, you are stepping in some raw territory for yourself, sir. And I commend you okay. for it. I'll admit it. I'll take the position of being conspiracy theorist, wacko nut job of this podcast. You could just lay your soul bare, mate. I think that's a braver thing to do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I think indirectly you are uh, uh, showing your soul with all the conspiracy theories. Yeah, okay, so my soul is insanity. Neil's is that he's just a very desperate man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's was. Difference. It was, was. Okay. I think we all are. Oh, we all have our, uh, inclinations towards neediness to some degree. It just of depends course, on yeah. how that comes about yeah. and why that is coming about. So, look, you don't have to answer these questions. I know that you're making this public, but no, I, I've go got to know. Go for it, okay. All right, so what do you what do you identify as needy behavior in your previous relationship? Uh, the 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 uh, okay, let me articulate this well. You, you, when your you value as a person lies within the lies entirely in the other person's value. So your self-worth is so tied into the other person's happiness and general demeanor that you need to make the other person happy to feel good about yourself. Okay, yes. That is actually a really good example of neediness. Mm. Um, and you tie that into... You justify that by saying, no, I'm a great I'm a great boyfriend. And it's not just romantic relationships where this exists, but any sort of relationship. I'm a great friend. I'm a great worker because I care more about that person than I do myself. 
when in reality, no, it's actually an extremely narcissistic position to have because it's, I will basically emotionally manipulate you into into feeling like you owe me something because I've done gone above and beyond in my own mind for you. Mm, yeah, that is, it is. It is a very subtle form of emotional blackmail. It's an unconscious emotional. And you know what's even scarier yeah. about it as well is I, I know you as a dude. I don't think that you were doing that for malignant purposes. No, and I don't it's think just, most people are. No. 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 So if that was what was happening in that previous relationship, this is the other thing that it gets really raw about relationships and why they're endlessly fascinating to read about, I reckon, mm. is do you think that you could stop yourself from doing it in this relationship. Yeah, I mean, I don't have... What, we're talking this relationship? Or what relationship are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> there, is no, there is no current yeah, relationship. Prove you're worth it. <laughs> uh, like, oh, sorry, in, in your next relationship. Yes. You reckon I can at least can... definitely mitigate it. Yeah. And limit it compared to what it was, mm. without a doubt. Mm. I've just read it. I mean, knowledge the oldest adage there is. Knowledge is power. Mm. And when you're aware of it and when you know... Uh, potential happened. power. That's what I think is the defining difference between sure. it because that's the whole thing is you can intellectually understand something. And this is what I'm getting at with this is like if you intellectually understand that you were needy in that last relationship, mm. actually being able to behave, change that behavior, which again goes into that idea of inset reality because if you behaved in that way mm. in your relationship, it's because you learnt that behavior from somewhere mm. And I'm guessing it was from observing your parents' relationship because that's usually how people just interact. They're just replaying the relationship that they saw. Sure. Um, that book you recommended was good as well, The Truth. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That got down to a lot of it. It's very confronting. Reading. It's a, it's, it is. Extremely confronting read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's highly and recommended. And I've heard, but I haven't really read a lot of, of Freud, but it does touch on that sort of sexual theory that yeah what you were talking about before that um well it's an extension of that not just that the relationship we observe in adolescence is what we'll seek to emulate but there's some form of sexual frustration that comes about even in our adolescence in dealing with our parents that then manifests itself in our later relationships anyway i don't actually know a lot about that but there's something there that yeah i reckon that's the whole thing is everybody's like, it's very cool to debunk Freud now, but what people miss is that he was actually right about a lot of shit, hmm. especially for someone who didn't have computers and graphs and modeling. He just, just kind it. of just going like, no, nah, that guy wants to fuck his mum. Like, <laughs> but the thing what a is- thing to say. What a thing to stick your neck and stick your neck out about. Yeah. The guy just wants to bang, bang the old mother. century society. Yeah, Man, wow. Good luck. Um, and and look, forget the whole relationship aspect. We can talk about it in the context of comedy, which we always relate to as well. The needy artist or the needy uh, person needs the approval of the group. So they need to yeah. perform and create yeah. uh, based on what is seen as uh, what is pushed up ideologically amongst their peers. They're not truly individual, an individual when it comes to what they want to create and put out towards the world. And do you think... Okay, first of all, because when I started reading about relationship books and then I started looking at stand-up comedians, I think that I got a, a deeper understanding of why they were saying what they were saying and how they were projecting themselves. 
So that's my first question. And this is a two-parter. And the second one is, yeah. do you think as a result of reading about relationships and the, uh, how neediness kind of just comes up in every part of your life, mm. do you think that you're better at delivering as a stand-up comedian? Yeah. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Mm. Mm. So, so when you're introspective and you observe those traits that stem from your neediness to st- seek approval from the group, which in the context of stand-up comedy would be the audience, mm. you can then cut down on that and you can at least observe it and say, okay, well, why am I saying this to just get a laugh here? What am I actually? What do I actually want to articulate at this particular point and how do I want to best say that? Yeah, mm. and that's what creates a connection with the audience, which is what I like about performing as a stand-up comedian because after a while, you, when you first get past that stage of being scared of public speaking and everybody just kind of, you know, just that, like, just picture them in your underwear and you'll be fine and you, you kind of <laughs> get a little bit uh, more acclimatised to being on stage, I think the next stage after that is just being like, why aren't they laughing? Why aren't they laughing? And, and that's the point that you're kind of talking about. And then the next point is that point where you're saying that what you actually want to do mm. as a comedian is create a connection with the audience. Sure. And that means that you can't be constantly making jokes. You have to kind of let a journey kind of take place in that hour. And so there's points now as a comedian, because I used to always just be like, I'm just not getting one for every seven seconds. Now I understand why the true comedic greats that you know are in their 50s and 60s and whatever, sometimes they'll just be talking for five minutes straight and then they'll drop a joke after that five minutes and it brings the house down. Mm. And it's because everybody's kind of invested with that person. They're kind of just, they're being realer. Yeah. And obviously there's some level of theatre uh, comedy, but actually a lot of the theatre in comedy I've learned, I guess, is just stripping. Sure stripping the uh the theater away in a yeah, way like yeah, you're yeah. always just like pulling the curtain back well the authenticity is the the most significant factor in building that rapport with the audience yeah but i would also say that i don't know if it's necessarily just jokes are a symptom of or like trying to get a high frequency of jokes a just a symptom of not being entirely authentic there could be comedians out there that just want to do one-liners for one hour and mm. that's them being their authentic self. But the point is just being that authentic voice on stage is really what's going to serve you best in that realm. Yes. Hmm. And it is a constant struggle to get there. And that's where the new struggle, I guess, lies. I think that's what you're talking about. Like the third stage of comedy presence, that, that is where the new one lies. Hmm. And so that's why it's so... You're right. It's so interesting reading about relationships because the audience is it, after you get to that point of just like oh my god i'm in front of 200 people this is scary after that the next stage is like nah the audience is kind of just one person it's like it's like a brain coral it might be like thousands of little creatures but they're all one organism oh without a doubt yeah that's how it kind of works yeah and so as a result you actually are having a relationship with them yeah exactly so that's why you can't just completely put them offside yeah yeah and so when you are, uh, I think the other thing that actually well, helps as well a lot with it is, uh, tell me if this is your experience, but when it comes to like learning the understand what 
neediness does to you. I think what happens is when I used to do a lot of jokes before I read a lot about this and the audience didn't laugh, I'd instantly revert back into my mind and start panicking. And then for the rest of the show, you could feel that you were kind of like tense and nervous, even if you put on the public exterior. Like your body language wasn't actually showing that you were cool with it. But as a result of that neediness of just like, oh, they didn't laugh at that one. That's okay. If you're kind of cool with that, yeah, the connection kind of just stays there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's fine with it. Life goes on. No, oh, It's 100%. just a moment. Yeah. And that's yeah. not just in comedy. That's in any domain of, of life that has a, a social element. If you're saying things or just uh, claiming anything in order to fit a certain ideal that you think will be celebrated within that particular group and that doesn't hit, if you're saying something that's within a group, people disagree with that. You can immediately see that person just shrink because yeah. their entire self-worth and value is built upon the approval of that group. Whereas you see the person who just speaks their mind. I know it's such a cliche, like, I just say what I want. But those, even that, that kind of like living up to that idea is almost a very needy thing. But that's a, we'll get into that later. But the person who is truly... Uh, confident within themselves and just says what they want to say if it's not received well amongst their peers and and the group there's a steely confidence about them that just isn't broken and that is respected more than the person who you can see is just completely shattered by the fact that whatever they said or whatever they claimed to to be through their body language and their their words just didn't work it's that point of approval seeking. Yeah. This is another way of putting it. And That's that exactly is what it. you were saying before. It is that point of, uh, you know, I don't give a fuck. And there's, there's a difference between somebody who's just a cunt and someone who doesn't need the approval of others. Oh, without a doubt. Because now, now especially with our generation, there's this sort of popularized idea of, I don't care what society thinks, I'm going to do me. Yeah. That is actually the neediest <laughs> idea to take into the world because you're truly just trying to appease the people who you see as the most popular and cool, mm. which are the people who adhere to that, those particular values. Mm. It's actually, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a symptom of an atomized society in that now, because there's no such thing as a tribe, which is sort mm. of just an extended family, there's kind of just these imaginary tribes online, I guess. But mm. in the olden days, everybody kind of had a place mm. in the tribe. Otherwise, they were just excommunicated and killed. But mm -hmm. they, everybody sort of knew. And again, that's the whole point of in this society, what we're talking about in that other concept of reality talk is that here in this society because those tribes don't actually exist you determine where you are on that totem mm. but the trade-off is back in ancient societies uh, sorry uh, neolithic societies is that they were allotted a position and even if they weren't you know dominant alpha or whatever they were still respected in that community so there was like an interesting you had a mm. place yeah. you had a place and it was earned almost and as a result of that, that kind of uh, feeling of narcissism and neediness that kind of interlinks now in our society, I can't imagine being, when you look at people that kind of live Neolithic lives now, they don't have that level of insecurity that we do. When you look at tribal people and somebody comes up to them, they're like really... Ex if you just walked in 
to some Swahili tribe in Africa, mm. putting aside the fact they might kill you, but if they decide that you're not a threat or whatever, and after that, they're just going to treat you like you're one of their sons instantly. And it's because it's a society that doesn't have that kind of uh, feeling of separation that is fostered in this society. Um, Wouldn't you say even just 50, 60, 70 years ago, the insecurity and neediness was so much less? Because one, people who were maybe lower on the totem pole of society were still respected in their various positions. Yeah. So I think about... Uh, a lot of traditionally blue-collar jobs 40, 50 years ago, it was still a highly respected thing to work with if you were a miner or even if you... Like, I mean, who respects police officers these days? Mm. Whereas you took a look, like 30 years ago, it was a man in uniform, highly admired, highly respected, Mm. someone in a position of authority, whereas now they're not. At least their respect and admiration within society has definitely gone down. And the thing is, yeah, that, that feeling of just in front of them and then as soon as they've just been like, fucking arsehole. But yeah, they, they know that that's going down. Mm. So, yeah, that... I, yeah, you're right. There's an anxiety... There's an anxiety in this society that kind of stems from no one, especially with the uh, prevalency of the net, that no one is respected. Yeah. Not prime ministers, not superstars. At least back in the day, everybody, if there was a superstar on screen or something, they'd just be like loved and admired and there wouldn't be that constant feedback of people being like, you suck, fuck you and stuff. Mm. But that just is everyone now in society is is subject to that. And so if you don't uh, develop like a stronger mindset, which I guess can happen, as we were saying before, you you can kind of just be born into the right family and they're just going to foster that into you. But failing that, you kind of need to read up about it. Mm. You need to read up where that yearning to get approval comes from. Yeah. Because the less that you have that feeling, this is what's really inverse about a lot of things in self-help. And that's a classic example of it, is that the less you seek approval, the more approval you gain. Yeah. And now when I think about people in high school that were at the bottom of the social hierarchy there, a lot of them were. Mm. There was a lot of people that had that victim complex of just being like, everyone's so mean to me and I don't have any idea why. And it's just like, because you're constantly whining about everyone being mean to you. And again, you create your own reality. And yeah, there was people that were unfairly bullied, but the vast majority of them kind of boarded on themselves. And another one, and or not boarded on themselves, but like that was their mindset. And then the other kind of person was the... Um, the people in the group that were just being like, you know, someone to talk about Led Zeppelin, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, stairway to heaven, you know? Like, and it's just <laughs> yeah, like dude, that's the only yeah. song you know of theirs. Like, you don't actually like it. They would respect you more if you just kind of was just like, yeah, I don't know that much about them. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two things I would, I guess, bring up from, from what you just said there. I don't even think that concept rely, is, is unique to just the the phenomenon of approval seeking i think with a lot of things the 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 less you sort of uh go out of your way to try and find something or find this particular truth or i want this and so you're always trying to seek that that's almost a hindrance in itself the constant seeking of whatever it is that you're looking for 
it almost naturally those sorts of things will come to you. I mean, it's the old cliche, but like love, for example, the more you try and look for it, the less it's going to find you. Whereas if you're just sort of walking through life aimlessly, Mm. hey, if it comes, it comes. You're just more open to it. Mm. Uh, And Mm. from a psychological perspective, Mm. it's probably not from from just any sort of perspective that's just more likely to happen then. Mm. Because you're not sit there sitting there like looking for it at every single turn, um, and what was I going to say something when you were talking about the high school situation? I suppose again talking about what we just did in the last podcast. To what degree is our to, to what degree are our interests and our character and our personality defined by? us truly as individuals or from external influences Mm. because for example if you're in that context where everyone's like led led zeppelin or whatever and you come in and you say something like well i prefer i fucking just someone completely random right Mm. i don't even listen to music man i just read poetry yeah but you, if you're genuine in saying that you have a genuine love for poetry or are you saying that because it's so out of the realm of what is considered socially cool that you're trying to be socially cool as a result you get where i'm trying to go yeah and there's an inherent hatred of the people that do that yeah and just how do you how do you discern how do you even because you can feel it in someone can't you usually feel the genuineness in someone i think it's something you can fake as well i mean going back to pickup that's like half of what pickup artistry teaches like fake it fake that like incredible internal confidence yes now, the reason that they say that, fake that, is because it's that idea of fake it till you make it. And that's the whole, another point, another cliche about self-help is the idea that you have to be cool with multiple truths conflicting with each other at once. Yeah. When it comes to these kind of concepts, it's a bit different when it comes to facts. Facts can contradict each other and they kind of just nullify each other. But when it comes to like truths, these kind of things, you kind of have to be cool with them all happening at once. But the idea that, you know, when pickup artists say, you know, just fake your confidence with the bitches. What they're actually saying is just fake it till you make it mm. because you're going to get better results faking confidence than you are just having no confidence and never having confidence. But if you just keep faking confidence, eventually it gets instilled into your head and you do become that. Well, the real success you get from the fake confidence will then just create real confidence. Yes. That's what they're hoping will happen in that situation. But the other way that other pickup philosophy goes I can't, dude i've just read too it's so bad that i can sit here just some people are just being like oh yeah descartes and nietzsche and stuff and i was just like well taylor durden slant on uh confidence with chicks but like yeah the thing is <laughs> the thing is he is talking about that like emanation of authentic self that if you are a nerd mm. own it mm. And if you are a nerd and you own it, there will be a certain type of woman that will be attracted to you. Mm. That's the way that they kind of... There's there's that kind of sure. thought of it. Is Again, they're not trying to... You're not trying to fit a box of what you perceive that woman might find attractive or not. Yeah. You're kind of just saying, this is the type of person I am. And then there's going to be people that say you suck and there's going to be people that say that you're good. And I think that that's actually another case of how authentic you actually are. Because if you aren't authentic... There's going to be a lot of people that just have this kind of five out of ten opinion of you. Without a doubt. You're just fitting in. 
and as cliche and annoying as as it is, that sort of feminine uh, female self help and sort of those sorts of affirmations you might see on social media, like love yourself despite your flaws, they've got it right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a hundred percent true. Whenever eighteen year old girls post those, uh, <clears throat> what I used to find extremely annoying. Uh, Proverbs, if you will, not even proverbs, just like that, that, that typical Tumblr advice of like, mm. doesn't matter what a boy thinks of you, you are beautiful, love yourself for who you are. Mm. And I used to think, oh, this is so cringe, this is just mm. them trying to fit that mold. That's actually true. Yes. It's just great wisdom. It is. And as a result, that's why I follow a lot of uh, cringy <laughs> Tumblr girls. <laughs> you know what? Like, you, first of all, that's a good thing to be doing, but this I do understand. <laughs> For the quotes, obviously. <laughs> the I do understand why that's so cringy to people. Mm. And it's because it's just such hoarded, nasty advice. It's the same thing that incels always say of just being like, there's a meme about people saying just be yourself. And yeah, if you just say the words just be yourself, it's a oversimplification of a truth yeah so there's like a lot of qualifiers that come into that but essentially Mm. the overall result is that and it's the same thing with uh neediness and approval and stuff it's just like yeah the less that you need approval the more approval you will get sure because if you're like that again you're just trying to seek approval people kind of just have this like eye rolling attitude of you of just being like yeah they're okay i guess whereas if you are your genuine self there's going to be people that hate you and there's going to be people that love you and will you know they'll they'll be loyal to you because you are you i think the people who are critical of that very simplistic advice they probably haven't been introspective enough to realize that when you're a product of a multitude of layered insecurity. You are so far away from your authentic self that it's yeah, it's going to be an extremely arduous journey to get to your authentic self. Yeah. So yeah, when you hear just be yourself, you think, well, I am myself. No, you're not yourself at all. You're just uh, mm. layers upon layers of resentment mm. and insecurity. Mm. And you have to slowly peel back those. That's not easy to do. That's yeah. very hard. And especially at you're the depth. If you're at the depths of that intel mentality... Um, I wouldn't know what that's like, but there were definitely times when I was like 19, 20, when I was close to it. And to see where I've come now, it's just, it doesn't happen easily. No. Yeah. And it's quite a discipline. Because you have to face a lot of demons to do it. Oh, yeah. It's a lot easier to blame society or to blame external factors than to actually look inwards and say, what is wrong with me? And we all do it. It's a lot easier. We're not necessarily conscious of when... We are doing it. But you see that just everywhere in life now. Well, it's not my fault. I'm like, this is because of this. It's because of this. It's because mm, of mm, that. Mm. This is, is, is that. Mm. It's tied into politics, tied into everything. And that victim mentality is just, it's destructive. It's destructive? Extremely destructive. But the other thing is, you know why it's so, it's the same thing with propaganda. The, the propaganda that is most effective is the propaganda that's true. So it's the same thing with victim mentality. You can justify victim mentality. You can justify being an incel. Yeah. For sure you can. And you can be right about it. Yeah, yeah, I know. But the question is, is it helpful? Is it helpful to you? That's exactly it. You could be. I mean, if you're whatever you are, you're extremely unattractive and you have been given the worst hand possible in terms of your genetics. Yeah, it's very 
it's very applicable to you to see all these objective facts about what women desire. And not just we're not even just talking about the realm of sexuality and dating, but in any situation, if you're so far behind the mean, if you will, it's so much easier to fall into the victim mentality. And it's almost justified, but that's that's the challenge. It's those people that need to do the most work in, in challenging themselves and just getting out of that mentality. Yeah. Hmm. It's like... And it would be difficult because, look, I, I wouldn't know what it's like to be at those absolute... Uh, the, the complete lowest of the low. But... But the mentality is the same. But the whole point is... There's always someone who's worse than you. There's always someone that's worse than you. And there's always someone who's worse than you that got out of those circumstances. And the very fact that they did means that there is a way out for you as well. And if you're constantly focusing on why you're a victim and why there's all these roadblocks in your way, all you see is roadblocks. You don't see the path out. A really good example of that actually is there's this guy called W. Mitchell. He was involved in a plane crash... And he was severely disfigured as a result of that. Then a few weeks after that, he was in a motorcycle accident where 70% of his skin was burned off. Mm. And he was hospitalized for years. Eventually, his wife just left him. So this guy, like, think about it. Like a completely deep fried kumara of a man (laughs) that had, like, his fucking wife that left him. And look, I, you know... I love you, baby, but, you know, if, if that's what happens, <laughs> it'd be hard. It'd be hard to yeah, stay yeah. with someone who needs constant care and is hideous mm. and is like, there, there was all these things happening for him. Anyway, the thing is, eventually what happened is he, he again exceeded his circumstances. He, he had the worst life imaginable. He was constantly in constant agony. Uh, medical bills made him bankrupt. All of that stuff happened to him. It, like everything that you could... It was basically that guy in the Bible that God just like did a deal, a, a bet with the devil to just like fuck up his life and see if he still worshipped him. That is W. Mitchell. Mm. And then after that, his life kind of turned around and he was just reading a bunch of positive shit. He was just reading a bunch of books like As a Man Thinketh and mm. you know uh, The Power of Positivity and all these kind of books. And he slowly started to change his mindset the nurse that was caring to him ended up marrying him and that nurse was smoking. She was really hot. And she, she dated like a, a real, like burn victims. Look, it's very unfortunate that happened to you. I'm really sorry that it did, but it's it's very ugly. Like it's it's really, like if you are an incel and you're sitting there being like, I don't have a chin, you know? Like, dude, this burn victim was banging a nine. Like, come on, <laughs> come on. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think he became wow. mayor of his town. He started a very successful radio show and then he became an extremely successful businessman. Oh, and it is because that's the power of the mind. It's like you can, in most society, pretty much in every society there is, maybe North Korea might be an exception, but in virtually every society that there is, and it's limited in in different societies, it depends how far you can climb up. Mm. But the thing is that you can always improve your circumstances. Yeah, yeah. And another beautiful thing about controlling the neediness and um, understanding where that comes from and uh, bettering yourself in that regard is you you gain the ability to say no. Yeah. And that's a very powerful thing. Because when you're not 
controlled by the approval of the group or the herd and you can say no it's just it's liberating and they respect you for it yeah yeah because essentially somebody who's saying no is actually that Jordan Peterson point of like tell the truth but it you're is. standing up for yourself that's what you're doing you're standing up for yourself yeah. And, and in it a relationship shows that you can be trusted because you're not a yes man. Yeah, and actually, the thing is, people like yes men when things are going well, but when something goes wrong, yeah, yes men are the worst people on earth mm. to have as your advisors, mm. right? And so it it kind of shows that there's a strength of character in you if you have that ability to do that. Mm. Mm. And sometimes, just going off that anecdote you you said about the Burns victim, sometimes it does take those are extremely unlucky and tough circumstances to actually push you in the right direction to have to find those harsh self-truths. Sometimes you need to go through uh, harder circumstances to become better as a result. And I think that you actually do because we've talked about this numerous times. It's that idea that somebody who grew up in optimal circumstances, I mean, Paris Hilton and her brother. Hmm. They're such little shit. Hmm. And it's because they've been given everything to them. And as a result, they haven't had Hmm. to struggle. And it just goes into nature. There's always this, there's this great proverb. I think it's a Chinese proverb of the, um, the plant that grows out of the rock is stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Because a true test of character is not how you fare when things are going well, but it's how you fare when things how do you navigate mm. out of that? How do you deal with adversity? And I think some people who have been uh, born and bred into optimal circumstances and have everything go their way can be very nice people. It's just a matter of how do they fare when they're up against it. Mm. And I would hedge my bets that they crumble. Well, this is an exact example of Paris Hilton's brother. I can't remember his name, but essentially they said, can you not smoke weed on this plane? Mm. And he threw a tantrum. Like a 21-year-old man had to be basically... I can't even remember what happened. Like he basically had to be like held down by staff because of how aggressive he was getting Mm. because he didn't get exactly what he wanted at an exact moment. Can you imagine if something legitimately bad happened to that guy? Couldn't cope, man. He couldn't cope. I don't even want to know. Have you dealt with any of those issues in your life? Any neediness, approval, sake, other than, of course, the comedy? I think naturally I have never really wanted uh, much approval. I can think of examples of where I've been approval-seeking, and stand-up comedy is a good example of that. But I think in general... I'm kind of, I, I, I don't know. You, you know how some people just have some advantages and some disadvantages in life, right? Yeah. I think that is one of my advantages. I think I'm quite impervious to criticism. Mm. As in, I will logically assess criticism and just be like, that's valid and that's not. Mm. Um, it doesn't kind of affect me where I'm just like, that's it, I can't go on stage ever again. Mm. But the neediness that I see is the ones that I was explaining before of just when there was, there was a time in stand-up comedy, and I was rec- and I recognize that's the good thing about reading in self-help is that you can just apply that advice to places where it's not even directly aligned. Like yeah. it's it just kind of whatever your circumstances are, you can apply it. Mm. But I do remember a time where I'd be on stage, and if people didn't laugh at a point that I didn't that I expected a laugh, 
Mm. My response would either be resentment Mm. or fear. Mm. And you'd retreat inside yourself. And for the rest of the show, you were not performing well. You were not Mm. performing to 100%. Mm. Now when something dies, I, 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 I think it's because... It's changed the way that I see stand-up. Whereas before I was just like, oh, I've got, got to make people laugh. That's successful stand-up. Now I see successful stand-up as having a connection slash interaction with the audience. Mm. And so if they don't laugh, that's part of that experience. Mm. And the thing is, you can make lemons out of lemonade if you have that kind of mentality. Sure. And it's always, again, it's that thing of a lot of what you're talking about when it comes to acceptance. Um and approval a lot of it is framing in your Mm. mind as in like in your relationship how you were just kind of tricking yourself into saying that like that means that i care more about that person Mm. right that is a frame yeah and it's the same thing with comedy i think it actually now when i look at it is kind of it was very amateurish of me to come up there and just be like i expect laughs for 60 minutes for all the jokes that i wrote i spent time on them they're funny Mm. No, (laughs) and just sometimes you don't deliver it right. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's the audience fault. Sometimes you fucked up. Yeah, Mm, it is what it is. What uh, you brought up that I find really interesting as well is that interplay between resentment and fear. Yeah, because often resentment is just a facade to to hide fear. Like I resent what? What say again? So I, for example, that not just insult, but the victim mentality of I resent external factor because it has damaged me in this way and it has hindered my progress no you're just scared mm. yeah mm. Mm. resentment is just a, it's just like a veil for fear no it is and again there's that thing of just yeah you can resent something and not be scared of it and there, Can you? There, there is that. Yeah, I reckon you can resent something and not be scared of it for sure. Not like, scared of it per se, but scared of its effect. You can be scared of its effect. That's true. Mm. Touche, man. I actually can't think of an example of like a time when you're not resentful of something and you just think like that that thing is going to fuck me over somehow. Mm. And then resentment becomes anger. And then, what is it? That uh, Star Wars quote? That's like uh, fear leads to hate, hate leads to anger. I don't know. But all those negative it emotions was, do play was, into each other. <laughs> it was the original like Tumblr Chicks feed. Yeah. That, that movie. yeah. Tumblr Chicks have it on point. They do. Everyone should just uh, find 13-year-old girls. Like This is why women actually are so much more emotionally intelligent than men because these girls are like... Like, 18-year-old basic white girls are coming up with these, mm. like, emotional truths that I'm now just <laughs> realizing. That's true, man. And I'm acting like, look at me, I'm so smart with my uh, self-help. Sitting there it's with like a tear in your eye. 16-year-old girl realized this <laughs> in high school when they have to, like, play that emotional manipulation game of the social dynamics of a female high school. Of course they're going to come up with those truths a lot younger. Oh, yeah, that. That lunchtime was a true social laboratory for them, wasn't it? Oh, man. Yeah. And, yeah, you're right. As a result of that, they have that. Having said that, though, look, <laughs> dude, there is a lot of needy women in the world. Oh, without, yeah, that's very true. And that's the, that's the other thing as well. And I, Look, 
I think that that is, you get surveys of people saying over and over again, what do you think is the least attractive trait in someone? Every time someone has been burned by neediness, they will say that neediness, without a doubt, is the least attractive trait. And it makes a lot of sense (laughs) for women to hate that. Because essentially... You know what? I was actually just watching Chris Rock stand up the other day, and he was pointing it out. And it Women was... want to be des- they want nothing more than to be desired, but they want nothing less than to be needed. Yeah, you reckon? Yeah, mm. because your role as a man is to be needed. If you're mm. not providing, you're not adding shit to the equation. Mm. It was a car. It was a cold truth that Chris Rock was stepping on. Was that? It's just that if men aren't providing, they have no value. You have to be able to provide. Yeah. And as a result of that, if you are needy, <laughs> by default, you are not providing. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's a... And subconscious mechanism just kicks in and they just lose attraction to you. Yeah. Immediately. Because they can sense... Mm. It's that whole thing of they need you so they can raise the child. They don't need another child. Hmm. It's a, it's yeah. a, dude. It's a it's, it's a harsh. heavy subject. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So it's cool. Very that you raw. Be, it <laughs> is. It's real though. And so yeah, I'm I'm very glad that you read these books because I think that it's just, and I'm glad that we're talking about it as well because you're right. It's like a trademark of our generation. I think neediness and narcissism. And I think that they are very closely related. Mm. So yeah, anyway. And it doesn't help that we put place so much importance and significance on the romantic partner because even in even in days of yesteryear, there were just other ways in which to achieve the uh, you know, have your emotional needs of intimacy met from your family, from the extended family, from whatever it was, church, community. Cheating. cheating. Don't forget cheating. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> bit of in the brothel. I mean, that hasn't ended. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but stronger than ever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go, girls. Hey, um, man, the cheating statistics are pretty dark. And I think it is a lot more than because of that emptiness. Sure, and more than fifty percent of marriages have uh, some form of infidelity. Yep, and particularly when it comes to women most of the reason that they cheat is for emotional reasons, whereas men do it a lot of the time out of curiosity. But I think that there also is a level of insecurity that comes with cheating. And I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong by this in the, in the comments, but if you were cheating, were you satisfied in your relationship ever? Did you were you really happy in it? Were, were they providing what you needed in that relationship? And that's true about the point that you shouldn't be relying on one person to be doing what yeah. a community used to do. That's the question then I would pose, which is, is it unfeasible to even consider one person to be able to fulfill all those needs? Well, obviously. So you can't truly be fulfilled and happy in just a one monogamous relationship, especially if you're not getting those needs met. Um, through other sources. There's there's a bit of a give and take that goes with that, I think. Mm. And you do have to... Look, the key to any successful relationship is communication, which is actually what that truth book is all about. Yeah, yeah. 
It's all just about... Doesn't it come then back to a, a sort of a nobility and suffering that has sort of permeated Western society for a very long time, which is even if the relationship doesn't meet your needs and it is unhappy and whatever, you should suffer through that for the for the moral good? Yeah, it's kind of... I don't like thinking about it that way. It's... It's only, it's one, only one of us are in a uh, long-term <laughs> relationship here. Oh, I'm getting my needs met. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very needy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon? What do you reckon about? Because yeah, I think. Yeah, I've, look. Yes, there's definitely some nobility to that. But look, suffering probably I wouldn't even say is the right word for it. I think it's just that thing of constantly that Buddhist idea of superseding suffering. Of just, if you have like a concept of, I don't know, say that you're in a long-term relationship and you're just like, but this chick with a better ass at work wants to fuck. Hmm. It's that idea of like, like having the foresight, like the 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 human part of your brain to develop and saying, is it really worth it? As in, I think there's definitely some value in being able to control our biological instincts. Like without a doubt, I don't think anyone would argue with that. We can't just sit there giving into whatever primal urge we have at any given moment. Otherwise we'd all be killing and fucking each other. Mm. Um, but then there can also be a reframing of relationships in, in the sense that, what is the primary what is the primary reason for your relationship is it to raise children and if you fulfill those aspects of the relationship for example if you are fulfilling them and you have time off what is the damage to the relationship if you then do fuck that girl at work with the hot ass yeah and that's, if your partner fucks the, the guy at work with the mad dick i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the <laughs> Whatever he has. <laughs> like, I what think... is it? How does that then... If the primary... Yeah, if the primary uh, significance of the relationship is to build a partnership in which to raise children as optimally as possible, would it not then make sense that the sexual needs of the parents should also be met so they're better-rounded people? See, this is something that I don't actually know the answer to because I know the counter-argument and both of them make sense to me. Mm. And the counter-argument is, and I think that this actually is something that has happened as a result of being in a long-term relationship. I think that I am a lot more successful than I otherwise would have been if I was constantly chasing puss because the advantage of a long-term relationship is that it disciplines you. It domesticates you. And so as a result of that... No one's saying, yeah, but I'm not... You pose the question that if there was one hot girl at work that wanted to bang you, that's different to constantly chasing puss. Yeah, that's true if you could just do it once. Mm. But this is the thing is like I've talked to quite a few people on this subject because the older you get, mm -hmm. the more people succumb. And the thing that they always yeah, say... True is that once they succumbed, they realized they felt really bad the first time, but if they did it again, they didn't feel that bad anymore. 
and then they realized that it was easy to do. This is my argument against taking drugs as well, right? Like taking drugs is sick at the time. Sure, sure, sure. But then you realize that nothing, even if nothing happened to you, that you know, you're fine that time, so you take drugs again. But every time you take drugs, there's a recovery period, uh-huh. and there's a time when you're completely out of your life. And if you're not in your life, you can't work on your life and improve right, your right, circumstances. Right. Yeah. So you're constantly just treading water and convincing yourself that it's fine. Well, because Yeah, but I'm also talking about an entire reframing of the goals of that primary relationship. You're talking about polygamous relationships. Sure, yeah, open or whatever, in which the guilt wouldn't even exist. You know what? I think because we touched on this and we would have just delved further into it anyway, let's make one of the next podcast topics... Uh, well just the structure of relationships yeah optimal structure of romantic relationships yeah boom that's one of them right there because it's really sad but that is pretty much neil and mine's life it's just if you are constantly by yourself as a stand-up comedian dude you, you really start to uh appreciate and understand the world of a housewife just spending so much time by yourself. And after a while, you just fucking start thinking Oprah is sick. And what is all Oprah is, is just start? relationship. <laughs> Stop. She was always sick. Oh, no. Yes. All right. I retract that. But I have more respect for Oprah than I did before. I kind of just dismissed her as an Ellen DeGeneres. But she's just making really digestible relationship advice mm. for 30 years. And it works. So, I, yeah. Both, Oprah both, and the Tumblr it? Girls. They're basically the same person. This is 21st century. Mm. Um, But yeah, that's what I think is pretty much Neil and mine's collective PhD. is just (laughs) a PhD in Oprah easy truths about relationships. Hey, there you have it. All right, do you have any uh, any shows that you want to plug really quickly? Nah, they're all sold out because I'm such a baller. Hey, well, (laughs) I'm a bit more desperate and needy than this guy, so uh, I've got some regional shows coming up. Just yeah. go to my website, neilkohacker.com, small, smaller cities, Hobart, Launceston, Gold Coast, Cairns, Townsville, that kind of size of city. That's what I'm doing. So if you Good. live in that sort of size city, I'm probably doing it. It's just you and Chris Franklin, man. They need entertainment too. Oh, we're killing it. All right. <laughs> See ya.